But it's so great to be with you uh, this morning. And this year, we're kind of looking at, or oh, our theme for this year is, what does it mean to be Pentecostal? And it's been so good last uh, so far. And last week, if you missed it, I would encourage you to check it out online. It was greatly encouraging to hear how Pastor Willie was sharing how the, the fruitfulness of someone uh, who's living a life with the Spirit and how we can find fruitfulness in every season of life from Joseph. And I was greatly encouraged by that. So check it out. But this morning, I was wondering if we could have a little bit of fun in church this morning. Is that okay? Whether it happens or not, I've got the mic, so therefore I'm... I'm this might be fun. It might, I mean, I'm sure it'll be fun, but this could either be disastrous or beautiful. There's no in-between. This is either going to fail or succeed, but it'll be fun regardless. But I really need your help this morning with my message title. And so this is how it's going to work. The media team, hopefully, Kira and JP, I'm giving you a shout out here. So if it goes wrong, everybody knows... It wasn't my fault, and I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. It's the computer's fault. They do an amazing job. Uh, thank you to them. But what what Kira's going to do? Yeah, let's encourage them, because um, because they only ever get looked at when it goes wrong. Nobody ever notices when it goes perfectly, right? So thank you for all that you guys do. But it, Kira is going to play a song. JP's going to sign up. And what I want you to do is, when you recognise the song, if you do, I want you to jump to your feet with me and sing along. Now, if you don't know it. You can feel free to just blank and pretend because you don't want to be embarrassed. It's quite an older song, but when you know it, because it will really help you with my message title, and then we're going to stand to our feet. So, Kira, take it away. I'm not going to sing into the mic, but uh, if you notice the song and recognize it, jump up and sing along. Oh. 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 I know it's, it's all the men who are standing up here so far. It's like a game show. You might know the chorus. You might not. On your face, I see it's true. Here we go. This is a bit you might know. Tell me all about it. So this is the big moment, your big moment to stand, if you know it. So you can cut it there at the chorus. But every, no, no, I didn't tell you to sit down. I mean, we could keep going if you wanted, but the reality is there's key changes and guitar solos, and it's a bit absolutely crazy. And that's, but that song is called How Am I Supposed to Live Without You by Michael Bolton, and I'm totally judging those who don't. I'm just kidding. Um, but that's a great song, because this morning my message title is How Am I Supposed to Live Without You? And that song has got absolutely nothing to do with the preach, apart from the title of the message. But I really feel in my heart this morning that, God, every now and again when you get the opportunity to, to preach, if you ever are, sometimes it's easier to preach, and then sometimes God gives you something, you believe God gives you something to share that's a little bit uncomfortable, if I'm honest. And this morning is one of these times for me where it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable, but I really believe that God's laid this on my heart for me, for you, 
to share. And I really hope that this morning we can either be equipped, but even just come to a place where we recognize some things that we're, how are we supposed to live without him. And I want to read from the Bible, because it's always a good thing to do. And I want to read some, from Psalm 51. And Pastor Jim has already mentioned David this morning. He's a great guy in the Bible, King David. And he wrote this psalm, but he wrote this psalm at a time in his life when he was probably the lowest point he'd ever been at. At this point, he had committed adultery. He had committed murder. He'd lied. He'd tried to cover up everything you can think of you could do wrong. David's committed it at this point. And he thought he got away with it until Nathan, Sean's favorite character in the Bible, comes in and corrects him because that's what God does. He corrects us in our wrongness. And David finds himself in his lowest point and he writes these words, this prayer or this song, this psalm. And it says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt, purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion, it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight, and you will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach you ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me from shedding blood, O God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice that I would offer you one. You do not want a burnt offering, but the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. Look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with sacrifices offered in the right spirit, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. Father God, I pray this morning that as I share just a few thoughts that I believe you have given me, that we will be open to what you want to say, Father God. But more than that, we'll be open to what you want to do in us and through us. Father God, that we will realize that we can't possibly live without you. There's no way to function without you. In Jesus' name, amen. I was thinking about this, and as I was preaching, I really had this sense of this passage where David is... He's distraught, and particularly when he, he recognizes here in his weakness and his failure, like, God, please don't take away your Holy Spirit from me. It's like David recognizes that he can't possibly function in everything he's supposed to be without it. Now, at this point, David's the king. He's a husband. He's a parent. He's, I mean, humbly, he's a servant of the living God, but he recognizes that I can't function. I can't do everything that I'm supposed to do without your Holy Spirit, oh God. You see, King David had a relationship with God. He had recognized that every battle that he had won in life was thanks to 
God. All the wisdom that he had was thanks to God. Every bit of authority that he carried was because of his relationship with God. It was a direct result of the goodness of God in his life. That's why in Psalm 23 he wrote, Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And you see, in the good seasons and even in the bad seasons where David had people trying to kill him who were praising him the chapter before, but now they wanted to kill him, David encouraged himself in the Lord because he recognized that actually in good seasons and in bad seasons, the Holy Spirit at work in my life is what enables me and empowers me to function for God's glory. And yet he finds himself in this moment of madness, this moment of destruction and recognizes above all, it's not just forgive me God, but actually please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. But the Bible says the Holy Spirit will never leave us. That's true. But we can leave him. Well, what do you mean, David? Well, if you don't believe me, it's absolutely fine. I'll prove it. Pastor Jim preached a few weeks ago about King Saul, who was the first king before David. And Pastor Jim started at the beginning of Saul's story. And the phrase, if you remember, it was, can even Saul prophesy? Which is an encouragement to us that if even Saul can be used by God, then so can I. But if we read on in Saul's story, he goes on a journey. And sadly, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it starts with the words, Then the Lord's Spirit left Saul. And that's some of the words in the Bible that absolutely terrifies the life out of me. And it's not just Saul. We could read about the guy called Samson who one day he got up and his complacency and his arrogance and it said the spirit of the Lord left Samson and he didn't even realize. And it scared me. And so David who knew about Samson because Samson happened before David he would have known the story. And David, who recognized Saul, because also in one chapter, 1 Samuel 16, when the Spirit left Saul, David's brought in to pretty much lead worship and lead him into the presence of God. David had seen it, and it's almost like David recognized in his moment of madness and weakness, God, please don't let that happen to me. And I want to really... Please hear my heart this morning, but I think it would be really silly of us and really naive of us to think we could never get into the same position as Samson and Saul. I've, I never want to be so complacent and arrogant to think that the Spirit couldn't possibly leave me. And it's not that he left me, don't quote me out of context, but that I could get to myself and my place in my life where I'm so arrogant that I think I just don't need God. And that I can walk so far away that I don't recognize it. You see, David finds himself in this place and there's four things that I recognize that I think can help us to make sure that we, we, we never have to live without the Holy Spirit and I'm sure there's more but the first thing I know about David gets himself into this mess is because he, of where he positioned himself you see how you position yourself before God matters you see David when he was at his peak was humbly walking before God when he's defeating a giant, he recognized that you come at me with all of these things, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. It wasn't about David. Humility is a massive thing with God. The Bible says that God gives mercy to the humble, but he resists the proud. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want God resisting me. He's God. I'm David. I can't even, like, I, 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 I managed to somehow... This is a true story. This is not, I wasn't going to say this, but this is how stupid I am. I managed to smash a glass in my house by mistake. I then managed to think I cleared it up. 
and then I've stood on the glass that was in my kitchen. So like I've had a cut in my foot for the past two weeks. Like that's how, now why would I want to go actively against God? Let's be honest. The God who says, let there be light and there's light. The God who says he made this. And so therefore, how we position ourselves before God recognizes that if we come humbly before him and realize that God, it's you and you alone, that you give me the gifts, that it's you who's given me talents, it's you who gives me opportunities, then I can possibly, then his spirit will use a humble person to be used by him. And I don't mean it's false humility. The reality is everyone in here has got gifts and talents and anointed of God, I believe, if you use them for his glory. So it's not to say like, Oh, I'm so rubbish. It wasn't that good. It's like, it was all Jesus. No, it wasn't. If it was Jesus, there would be like people coming back to life and the water turned into it. Like, it's you being used by him and by his Holy Spirit. But this is probably one of the most important ones in David's story because it's not just how you position yourself, but it's the place that you go matters. You see, David at his time in his life, if I'd read it, was, it says, at the time when kings went to war, David was on a balcony. He should have been on the battlefield, but instead he was on a balcony. If David had been on the battlefield, then he would have never been in the place where he could have fallen into this trap. You see, the place he was had an impact on the decisions that he made. You see, the places where you go in life will have an impact on whether you can live without him or whether you don't. Now, it's not just about the place, because actually it's, there's nothing wrong with these things, but some of the places that we go on our phones, and I don't just mean the stuff that's a bit dodgy, I mean the stuff that we fill our mind with, the negativity, the gospel, the things we watch on TV, the music we listen to, but even the physical places that we go can have an impact. I don't want to go somewhere. There's a, there's a great part in the... The, the Old Testament, if I told you about, it's Moses and he's leading God's people and God tells them to go over there. And, and Moses says, well, if you're not going with us, we're not going there. And it's just this idea that if the spirit isn't there, there's some places that we go to. And you know that way when you walk in, you're just like, I shouldn't be here. This is not where I'm supposed to be. And sometimes we recognize it and I pray that we do. I pray that we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to be sensitive to, I, I shouldn't be there. And you know what I'm talking about? It's the stuff where when you go there, it fills your mind with junk. You become more regret. You become less of what the spirit wants us to be and more like the world wants us to be. And I don't mean that you should never go to places that are never, like, that's not what I'm trying to say. And the reality is we can be, if we're not careful, we can end up in a trap where we think it's a one size fits all. Something you struggle with might be something I don't struggle with. But the reality is we all have areas in our life where I can't go to that place because that is not where God wants me to be. You see, David ends up having an affair because if he hadn't been on the balcony, he would have never seen Bathsheba. He would have never seen her. He would have never known she existed if he was where he was supposed to be. And so the places we go in our mind and the places we go physically can have an impact. You see, David was just a little bit lazy. He was a little bit complacent. And yet it spiraled into an absolute disaster and made an absolute mess of not only his life, but of his kingdom. You see, how can I live without you? One way that we can make sure that we never have to live without him is to just watch the places that we go to. The next thing, it's not just possession, it's not just place, but the third one's people. The Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. Bad company isn't always bad people. I mean, it's easy, if you know someone's really a bad person, it's quite easy to avoid them. 
But sometimes there are people who aren't bad people, but they don't have your values. They don't have, they, they, they won't encourage you to live out the way God wants you to. And if they're influencing you in a way that's negative, then uh, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but don't be surprised if you find yourself in a place you're not supposed to be. You see, in David's story, he finds himself, what's so tragic about it is that God gives him so many ways out. He should never have been on the balcony, but when he was, he sees Bathsheba, and you can read about it. He sees Bathsheba, and then he asks, who is that woman? And he's then told by people, well, she's this guy's wife. One of the soldiers is out in the battlefield. Get out, Claus. End the conversation, David. She is off limits, not good for you, not for you. But then David, and this is what I find really sad about the story. Maybe it's because he was king, but... And I just noticed that, and I've maybe heard it, but I noticed it. But why was nobody there in David's life to tell him, don't go there? Why did nobody stop it? Because then David pretty much sends his messengers and says, bring her to me. And he has an affair, and he tries to cover up. But I think, why did it take after the fact before somebody called David out? Could you imagine how this story could have been different if someone had said, you know what, she's somebody else's wife. Don't go there, David. Even better, if somebody had said, David, you're meant to be in the battlefield. And that is why it is so important to have people in your life who love you and have got God's best for you and will encourage you and speak life into you and encourage you into everything. Now, what, what, I don't, what I'm not trying to say is we should never ever mix with people who aren't Christian. That if that's what you hear from what I'm saying, that is not what I'm saying because we have to go and reach the world. We have to go and impact people for God's kingdom. But if your best friends, if the people who influence you most are not people who are going to call you and encourage you into everything God has for you, who will never call you out when you go to places you shouldn't be to, who will never call you out when you say things that you shouldn't say, then maybe you have to look at your life and think, I need to get some new influences in my life. And I don't mean that to be harsh. It's my, it's my reality too. I remember when I worked at the bank, the atmosphere was not great. They weren't bad people, but the language they used, the way that they spoke about one another, the way that they treated one another was not how I want to be treated. And if I spent too much time with them without the influence of people in my life to keep me centered and grounded, it can be so easy for me to slip into just making the comment I shouldn't make, to gossiping behind somebody's back. It's so easy to slip into complacency. You have to work hard for it. And David got lazy for a moment and it wrecked his life almost. I remember when Heather and I first started dating, she had friends in her life who weren't bad people but who would encourage her to do things that she didn't want to do. They would encourage her to go to places that she didn't really want to go to, but actually they were her friends, so therefore she felt compelled to do it. Because bad company isn't always bad people, it just may be someone who doesn't encourage you to live out the values that God calls you to do. And I remember it came to a point where she pretty much had to make a decision. Either I'm going to not cut these people out of my life, but either I can allow them to keep influencing me negatively, contrary to what God's called me to, or I can live the life that God wants me to live. And she went on the journey of, and it was painful and it was difficult, and when you care about someone, it's difficult to see them in pain, but actually the short-term pain of that season set her up for the long-term game that is, I'm going to live a life where God can use me and I can see fruitfulness and friendships that go greater than what the surface is. And I would say my wife is one of the best people that I know. And 
I'm not sure she would be if those influences still had a grip in her life. But it wasn't easy. She's also out with the kids, so, but I did, she doesn't know I'm going to share that story. But I encourage you, look around this room, find people who will push you into... I mean, I'll be honest, my best friends, it's hilarious, my best friends are in this room. We have next to nothing in common. I'm a sport guy, they're like an enemy. That's like opposite worlds. Like, so in any other environment, school, we would have never, I would have never been in their circle of friends. They would have never been mine. It's not that they're bad people. Just, we would have never mingled at all. But what we have in common is that we share a relationship with Jesus, that we want to encourage one another to be the best that we can be, that we speak life into one another. We call each other out when we're wrong, and I wouldn't swap them for the world. Why? Because now I have interests in things I would have never been interested in because of them. And they have interests in me, not in me, and things that I would be. Why? Because friendship unites us, it builds bridges and encourages us. And the reality is they would never, I could not imagine my life without them. And they me, hopefully. I'll ask them later. But it's not about that because more importantly, the people that we, they can encourage you to be more like Jesus and living with him, or they can pull you away. And the fourth thing I notice, and this is probably the, I really pray that I word this correctly and that God helps me here, because the fourth thing is, it's purpose. You see, it's not about possession, it's just not just about possession or about places we go or people, but actually it's about purpose. You see, King David reaffirms in this psalm his purpose in life. That it's not to feed his self-interest. It's not to live his own life or for his own desires. But his purpose on earth while he was here was to worship and to glorify and to magnify the Lord. You see, he recorded in the psalm, you don't want a sacrifice. That's not what you're looking for, God. But you want a broken spirit and someone who humbly comes before you and says, God, here I am. Outwork your plans in my life for your glory. You know, I've been, I've been involved in youth as a young person and as a youth leader, pastor, whatever you want to call it, for a long time. In fact, last year was the first time I never went to any form of youth conference or youth meeting at all since I was about 13 years old. And when you go to youth conferences, what you always find is you see the same young people, both from it, your church, but also from other churches. And every year, every meeting, they come forward and give their life to Jesus. And they say sorry for the same thing that they said sorry for last year. And they said the same sorry for it again. And there's a naivety about being a young person. But I remember, just as God brought to my remembrance, I remember seeing this. And I remember seeing some of the young people we've had an impact on. And there's a moment. And I remember it's probably the greatest moment in a youth pastor's life or a youth leader I'm speaking to, like, but anyone's life. See the moment with a young person who's went down seven years in a row and then one year, they don't. Why? Because they've matured enough to realize that actually God's not looking for a sacrifice anymore. He doesn't want me to keep saying sorry for the same thing over and again. What he wants me to do is to grow through it and to stop doing the thing. God never wanted David to be sorry for his sin and his failure. God's plan for David was that it never happened in the first place. And I felt like God wanted me to remind us, I tell some people, maybe even for the first time, that God's okay with sacrifice. There's a time to come and say, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. We should always do that every time we mess up. But actually what God's really looking for, what God's heart's desire really, when you really can't live without him, 
is that, you know what, God, I'm sorry for this mistake I made. But I'm walking and I'm leaving it behind. And from now on, helped by your Holy Spirit, my purpose will be to outwork what you want me to do. I'm not going backwards, but I'm growing forwards. And you know what I love about David? It never recorded again. He failed, but after Nathan came to see him, not once has it recorded again where David sinned in the same way he did before. Why David's most fruitfulness came from his mistakes because he humbly came before God. What do you mean, David? Well, I'm so glad you asked the question. You see, if we read the genealogy of Jesus, I mean, Jesus is worth reading. Because God's so awesome that even when we screw up, God still can use everything for his glory. But if we read the genealogy of Jesus, if you read the, and it's a bit boring at times because you're like, this person begot this person, they gave birth to this person. But if we read it, there's three women mentioned in the entire thing. Three. Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Who's Bathsheba? Well, Bathsheba is the woman that David had an affair with. Which means that even David's greatest mistake when he came before God and said, God, I'm sorry. God, I'm sorry. I'm humbly coming before you. Please help me. My purpose is to glorify you. That from David's mistake, God somehow brought out Jesus. Why? Because that's the God that we serve. And the worship team can come back up. You see, you can give all the sacrifices you want. But God has got a purpose and a plan for your life. That he's not looking for you to sacrifice all the time. But actually... It's painful to sacrifice because we've went through some stuff. But actually, I would argue it's more difficult to be consistent every day. To consistently live a life in God's purpose, that's, that's really difficult. And the beautiful thing is, if we read in Acts chapter 16.33, I love this. Because it says of King David that he served God's purpose in his generation and then he went to sleep. And I don't know about you, but... Maybe it's just because I'm called David, but I think it would be beautiful for me in my, my, in, my, in my funeral, which I hope's a long, long, long way away. Technically, I hope, like we sang earlier, that Jesus comes back before I have my funeral, but that's a side issue. But I really hope that it's said of me that this David served God's purpose and his generation, and he fell asleep. Why? Because... I'm, I, I just, I don't want to be someone who has to sacrifice all the time because I keep making mistakes, morally anyway. I want to make mistakes because we try new things and they don't work. But I want to be someone who they can say, well, do you know what? He walked with the Holy Spirit every single day of his life. He was someone who he could not live without the Holy Spirit. But thankfully, he didn't have to. And so my challenge for you this morning as we... I'll be honest, you cannot live without God. You can can live, but you can't be alive. And there's a difference between living and being alive. And so my prayer for each one of us watching online and for in this room, that you'll recognize that you can't live without him. So don't try. And that you'll come to him and say, do you know what, Jesus? Here's my sacrifice I'm giving once. I'm, I'm saying I'm sorry for everything, but God, I'm... Help me by your Holy Spirit to be someone who serves my pur- your purpose in my generation before I fall asleep. Can we stand if that's okay? I'm just going to pray. And then we're going to worship our God and pass the gym will close. But Father God, I pray for every person in here. Father God, I thank you that you see through 
every mistake and every failure, and that's not the end of our story. Father God, we thank you that just like David, our fruitfulness can come even out of the stuff that we've messed up. But God, I pray that you'll help us to remember and be conscious of and to work hard. Really work hard to watch where we go, the places that we go. God, that you'll help us to position ourselves to humbly walk with you and recognize that it's you at work in us. It's not us, but it's you at work in us. God, I pray that you help us to not only watch the places that we go, but to watch the people that we allow to influence us, that we surround ourselves with people who speak life and who call us out and encourage us to be everything that you call us to be. And God, I pray that as we work together, that each one of us can say that we worked out your purpose and our generation while we're here for your glory in order that we can say, how could I ever live without you? Father God, I ask it in the name of Jesus and by your spirit. Amen.